0: Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink Software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com.
1: WBUR Podcasts,
0: Boston. Life has changed a lot for the Timothy family over the last six years. Andre, his son Jefty, and his daughter Nelissa have found ways to adapt since losing their mom and wife, Benin. But still, life is somehow measured in the before and the after. Benin was shot and killed in 2016 walking down a busy street in Boston on a Saturday afternoon. Police have made no arrests, there are no suspects, there's just this void. We're not going to find out who killed Benin. There's no closure right now. But this story isn't about getting closure. It's about living
2: without it. Because when my mom passed away, I feel like half of me was just gone too. And I don't think like there's any part, like anything I can fill this part. I feel like I'm just going to be like this empty person, half empty.
0: And what I'm coming to understand is that Jeffy and his family are not alone in feeling this emptiness, this gap, in a space where you're at once tied to the past while still trying to create a future. Because sometimes it feels like the law enforcement system is set up so that families of unsolved homicide victims, like Benin, can't help but feel forgotten. Especially for a family new to the U.S., like the Timothys when a tragedy like this strikes, where do you turn for help? And when the unknown becomes one of your only constants, what does it take to move forward? To find peace? Welcome to Last Scene, our show about people, places, and things that have gone missing. From WBUR, Boston's NPR station. I'm independent investigative reporter Shannon Dooling. Today, the final episode of this three-part series about the Timothys and the search for a family's peace. It's clear that a big reason why the Timothy family has lost faith in law enforcement and ever getting answers around who killed Benin is because they've tried navigating the system, but mostly just end up back where they began. I want to learn more about why that can happen and what the system looks like from the inside.
3: So my name is John Verner, and I'm an assistant district attorney in the homicide unit in the Suffolk County DA's office.
0: Boston is in Suffolk County. So it's this district attorney's office that helps to investigate homicide cases in the city and ultimately decides whether to bring charges against any suspects.
3: And one of my responsibilities is uh, I'm the point person on some of the unsolved homicides in this office.
0: John Verner and I connect over Zoom. He's wearing a red hooded sweatshirt and black framed glasses. He's sitting in his office in downtown Boston, surrounded by piles of manila envelopes, stacks of files balancing on his desk. Each case represents a homicide victim. He says there must be hundreds of folders in his office alone. Werner doesn't work on Benin's case, so he can't answer specific questions about the investigation into her death. But he answers other questions. How does a case like this remain unsolved after six years with not not a— witness not a new piece of evidence nothing
3: right good question right so in a sad question right a lot of the the homicides that we have in suffolk county are are similar to what you just explained there are firearm offenses and what you have at a scene is you have x amount of you know ballistics evidence spent shell casings projectiles things of that nature
0: Werner says that in a case like Benin's, where the victim is shot outside on the street, evidence can be harder to come by compared to incidents that happen in a controlled environment, like inside a home. That makes sense to me. But we do know that some evidence was gathered at the scene. Remember in the police report, it said that part of a bullet was collected from a nearby parked car. The spokesperson for the Boston police told me that evidence like that is collected and analyzed. But when I asked whether this particular piece of evidence, this partial bullet from the scene of Benin's shooting, had been sent to forensics, he couldn't confirm it. Maybe he doesn't know. So instead of relying on the spokesperson's knowledge of Benin's case— I filed a public records request asking for any documentation that would show when that partial bullet was sent to forensics for analysis. Because it's an open case, I know I'm not going to get any information about the results of any analysis. But I can still ask Boston police to show me documents proving it was sent for analysis. I'm asking for this because if police can't show me that that evidence was sent to forensics if that partial bullet was never analyzed, then I want to know why. I might not get that answer until after this series airs. In addition to physical evidence like bullets and shell casings, Werner says investigators also rely on video evidence that might be available at the crime scene, like security camera footage. The Timothys tell me they think that SKBs, that small store Benin stopped in before she was shot, had security cameras. So I asked the DA's office whether video evidence was gathered and whether it was actually analyzed in Benin's investigation. The spokesperson confirmed that, yes, video evidence was collected and analyzed— But because the investigation is open, they couldn't share any more details, like what or who is seen in that video footage. Werner says there's one more element they look for in cases like this, sometimes the hardest to track down.
3: If we find a witness who might be reluctant, uh, you know, there are things that we can do. We try and make them comfortable. We try and make them safe. Uh, Try and give them the assurances that we can
0: If Benin was caught in some sort of gang-related crossfire, as the police suggested to the media at the time of her killing, it can be really challenging to convince someone who might be afraid for their own safety to speak with law enforcement. We know there was mention in the police dispatch records of at least one witness in Benin's case speaking with the cops, and we've heard Andre and others in the community talk about people who may have seen what happened that day— but six years after the shooting, I don't have any names to work off of, and based on what I do know about law enforcement's investigation into Benin's shooting, they don't either. So I have to ask, what keeps this case open? Werner says an unsolved homicide remains open until it's solved.
3: I don't use the term cold case for uh, a handful of reasons, but 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 the biggest reason is, is it. It must be awful, awfully disheartening to a family member to hear the term cold case. We don't believe in that. So to us, they are unsolved homicides. It's a case that has not been brought to court yet.
0: But what I realize is that as long as this case remains open, it means that any information about the investigation remains off-limits to the family. And if there's no new information... Well, that fact is off-limits, too. Remember, Jephti, Benin's son, asked for a copy of the autopsy report. I try to find the result of the autopsy, like
2: send an email and stuff like that. And they end call, when they called me back, they said that it's still an open case. They cannot give me the result. Until
0: this day, we still got nothing. That's because the state's public records law says law enforcement doesn't have to release any documentation if a case is still open, if they believe releasing information to the public could threaten any future leads in the investigation. What does that mean exactly? Werner, the assistant district attorney, explained it this way.
3: You don't want all the facts out there because if we're going to use a witness who says they have information we do everything we can to try and corroborate it and one of the most important things we try and do is if the witness is telling us something we need to try and find out if that information is quote out there
0: i requested documents about the investigation i've asked the boston police whether there have been any new developments in six years and the answer is always we can't give you that information it's an open case
3: homicides don't have a statute of limitations. And we can't tell the family that we're never going to forget about you and not have hope.
0: When a case like Benin's or any of the more than 1,300 unsolved homicide investigations in Suffolk County remains open, Werner believes that it means there's still hope for answers, for accountability. But until those answers come, if they ever do, the families can feel left behind. Instead of feeling hopeful, they're stuck not knowing whether there are any new leads or if the case is stalled. I wonder if, given the choice, some families might actually want to hear that the case is no longer open. At least then, they could see what has or hasn't been done. Law enforcement is essentially shielded by the state's public records law from ever having to provide any updates on open cases. So. Andre is looking for a workaround, a way to get more information on his own, without asking law enforcement. That's after the break.
4: Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while.
0: Do it anyway. Dig. What's up? I'm, I'm going to record. Is it okay if I record? Okay. Okay. Yeah, Timothy is asking me
2: about the money all day. I said, no, now we're going to issue a new one.
0: Here's the elevator. Yeah. I've met Andre at probate court twice now, but he's not alone. Miss Nicole goes with him. Remember her? She runs the Gilbert Albert Community yeah. Center, where Benin studied English. Today, Andre's carrying a small black backpack with him. He's brought Benin's death certificate and their marriage license. I see he's wearing a Mickey Mouse wristwatch. He says it makes him happy. There's a sprinkling of white hair in his mustache, a detail I've only now noticed. Andre is trying to gain access to Benin's medical records from the hospital, where her body was brought and where she was formally pronounced dead. Since they've been denied access to the autopsy report, this would at least provide something more details. Like, where was the gunshot wound on her body? What time did she arrive at the hospital? What time was she pronounced dead? We were just told he filled out the wrong paperwork and he needs to come back a third time to file the correct forms and bring another money order, this time for $415. Andre is once again hitting a bureaucratic wall, but that doesn't mean other things aren't going well. His two kids are in college, that was part of the dream. One of the reasons he worked to bring Benin, Jeffy, and Melissa to Boston. Andre, is is this frustrating? No, no,
2: he's not frustrated, he's patient, he rely on God to see what he's going for with two kids with their without their mothers and no one else. They're going to college, and they go to school.
0: Andre occasionally rubs his eyes with one hand. He works nights cleaning offices, so meeting at the courthouse in the middle of the afternoon is tough. He's tired. Tired from work. But I have to believe he's also tired from living as a single parent. He tells me and Miss Nicole that he just found out his rent is going up by more than $500. Okay. And now it's
2: 2655 yeah. So they raised at $500. Wow. I don't get it. I want, I'm not able to be that.
0: You can see the weight of all of this in Andre's glassy eyes, the wrinkles in his hands, the way he reminds me, almost every time we speak, that Benin had only been in the country for a short time. It was a brief chapter in their lives, but it was a good one. This is all part of what drives Andre for answers— for any sort of information he can access. And it's motivated others in the Haitian American community to help the family too. But I was
2: very, very upset because of the situation. The wife just came here, probably like three months. Three months. I think she was...
0: Samuel Osayas, the online radio host and community organizer we heard from in the last episode. He invited me to his apartment to talk more about all of this, He's just returned home from working a long day at the fish market he owns. He didn't know Andre very well before Benin died, but he says he wanted to help.
2: I had that lawyer on the case. He tried everything. He hired a detective, he, ha- he hired undercover, the And then that guy went, tried to talk to the people in the area. Nobody wants to speak one
1: word.
0: What Samuel asks next, is something that's been on my mind too.
2: I wonder if it was a white Irish, if it was even Hispanic, you know? What I mean? If it was even a Caribbean, it would not happen this way. Things would have been different. But they're Haitian. They don't speak any English. They don't know which way to go. I
0: asked the Suffolk County DA's office for a demographic breakdown of unsolved homicide victims. Their spokesperson told me individual case files may include that information, but the office doesn't track those stats countywide. But if you scroll through the available images of unsolved homicide victims on the Boston Police Department's website, it's impossible not to notice that the vast majority of those cases involve brown and black men, and occasionally women like Benin. I mean, we
1: took care of everything, from the funeral, the cemetery plot, the clothes for them to wear for the funeral.
0: Carmel Bonomet says she knew André before ever meeting Benin. Before the rest of his family arrived in Boston, André took English classes at the nonprofit where Carmel works, the Association of Haitian Women in Boston. When Benin was killed, the organization stepped in to support André and the kids, Setting up a GoFundMe account and raising thousands of dollars. Six years later, that GoFundMe page is inactive. Benin is laid to rest. But Carmel points to the lack of updates from law enforcement. It's a theme I hear over and over feeling forgotten.
1: And over the years, even for myself, it's really frustrating because we tried to get in touch with some of the police detectives that were on the case. We tried to get in touch with a victim witness advocate. Nothing happened.
0: That assistant district attorney I spoke with, John Verner, he recognizes how frustrating this process must be. He says everyone in his office does their best to keep in touch with the families and loved ones of homicide victims. But Andre, and everyone who supports him in the community, tell me they called the DA's office. They called the police. And their calls went unanswered. Carmel, Samuel, Miss Nicole, and all of the others in the community who've tried to make sense of any of this, they're all sort of bystanders. Andre... Jeff D and Nalissa, they're living it. About a year ago, back at Miss Nicole's community center, Jeffy and I sat across a table from one another, trying to wrap our heads around just how much changed the day Benin died. He talked about how there's this gap in his life, a stretch of time or parts of himself that have gone missing that he can't account for. I asked him if getting answers about his mom's death an arrest or a suspect could help to close that gap.
2: It's like it would be nice to get some closure, like find out what happened, stuff like that. We get some justice. It would be nice, but that part still gonna, it's not gonna like f- all filled up all the way. That will never, I don't think that will ever happen for that part to be like fully like full. That, that whole spot, like that whole space was, like, literally for my mom, and then she was, she's just gone. There's nothing that can replace
1: that.
0: Jeff D. is now a freshman in college, studying criminal justice. We catch up over Zoom. He's in his dorm room, sitting at a desk, and his hair is longer than I remember. It's been a while since we last met. He says the first semester has been challenging, but then I ask him about football. I know you've been interested in trying to play.
2: Football, uh, I didn't play when I first got here for the fall semester, but I recently talked to the coach. After this break, I will be joining the team. I will be starting to work out with them.
0: That's really cool, Jeff
2: D. Like when I'm playing sport, like when I'm doing a lot of activities, it's kind of like keep my mind off some things. Like when I'm just not doing things, like a lot of thoughts are going through my head. like start to think about a lot of things, like things that I don't really want to be thinking about at the moment.
0: I ask him if he wants to hear about my interviews with the DA's office and the Boston police. He does. Jeffy, like his dad Andre, feels like law enforcement officers aren't telling them the whole story. And that theory? that Benin was caught in the crossfire between the police and a suspect they were chasing, it sticks with Jeffy I tell him that I've asked the Boston police about this theory, and they reject it, saying there are no records of officers discharging their firearms on October 29th, 2016. And I ask him if he believes the police are telling the truth.
2: No, because like, the story like we've been hearing since, that day, was a police officer fired the order. No. yep, I don't believe
0: it. He doesn't believe what the police have told me. The fact there are no records showing police fired their weapons on the day Benin was killed, it doesn't mean anything to Jeffy. And that's probably because he's lost trust in law enforcement. Still, Jeffy's doubt doesn't get in the way of him wanting the truth.
2: Like, to know what happened, at least to know part of it, like some details, like still no evidence, no nothing for six years. To know a little bit of things, like, a, like, just to know what happened, like, will mean a lot. Give us, like, a little something to go on because by now they're not giving us anything back. That's what's making it like, or hurt more.
0: I wonder what hurts more, not having that information, or getting information that you don't believe is true. For nearly two years now, I've been meeting with Andre and Miss Nicole at the community center. Today, we sit down in the classroom, the same room where Benin sat during English classes. Hi. Hi, Andre, how are you? I bring them up to speed on my recent interviews with the DA's office and the Boston police. But I notice there's something different about Andre today. He seems resolved. It's not that he's given up on getting answers— It's more like he assumes he won't. So he's not surprised when I tell him the DA's office said the case is open and they can't comment, or that Boston police denied any sort of involvement in Benin's killing. He's not surprised because he says after dealing with the U.S. justice system for six years, after trying to navigate it on his own— He understands by now how it's designed to work.
1: So
2: he said that he understood the system is not designed for them, for us, or for
1: Black, or whatever, immigrant. He says
0: he knows how the system discriminates. It's as though Andre is pacing himself— Like this 67-year-old man has learned the limits of his hope, and now he's trying to endure. I try reaching out to Andre's daughter, Nelissa, off and on for a few months, and there's no response. I don't want to push. But I also want to let her know that these stories, these interviews I've collected with her and her family over the last two years they would be out there for others to hear. Her mom's death would be public again, in a way that most unsolved homicides aren't. I got the chance to tell her that when she answered a call of mine. I didn't ask her if I could record our conversation that day. That wasn't the point. But a few weeks later, Melissa called me with an update. And this time, I did record. Okay, so somebody called your dad?
1: Yes. A detective called my dad, and he said, uh, "Boston Police." And I, my dad, passed me the phone because I, my dad, doesn't speak English, obviously.
0: But I, for the I first time the in years, said, Boston Police called the Timothy family, asking if the family had any questions about Benin's case. I asked Nalissa why she and Andre thought the police were calling now. They're not sure, but whatever the reason the police aren't offering more information. They're not telling the family that they've put more resources on Benin's case. Instead, it's almost like they're calling after so many years just to be able to say they did. And once again, just like when she was 13, it's Nalissa speaking with the police.
1: And he said, oh, he just wanted to check in. And I'm like, why are you guys are calling to check in now? Like, what's happening? Is there any update?" And he said, oh, we can't tell you any information. The case is still ongoing. And I'm a little bit frustrated because <laughs> that's, that's what they've been telling us. Or that's what they told me when I was 13 years old. That the case It's like
0: she's having a flashback case. to her 13-year-old self. The detective couldn't tell her if there were any new developments, if they had any suspects, because the case is still open. Melissa is understandably frustrated by this.
1: And I just told him, like, he can call me back in another five years again and just tell me that again because
0: clearly they
1: don't have anything new to say.
0: They can just call me back in another five years, she says. She tells me that when she was younger, translating for her dad right after losing her mom, she felt powerless. She could understand some of what law enforcement was saying, but she couldn't find the words then to fully express herself. I wondered if today, speaking with the police again at 19 years old, if Nelissa felt like she took back any of that power. Hopefully, hopefully,
1: hopefully I did.
0: The Timothy family is still searching for justice, for closure, picking up details about Benin's death and hopefully along the way finding those missing pieces of themselves they lost that day.
4: This episode of Last Scene and this entire three-part series called A Family's Peace was reported and written by investigative reporter Shannon Dooling. It was produced by Shannon and me, your story curator, Nora Sachs. Monica Campbell is our story editor. Mixed sound design and original music composition by Paul Vykus. Production help from my WBUR podcast teammates Emily Jankowski, Matt Reed, Dean Russell, Amory Sievertson, Quincy Walters, and Grace Tatter. Our digital producer is Megan Cattell. Ben Brock-Johnson is our executive producer. You can find all of our stories and show notes at wbr.org slash last scene. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at last podcast. And remember, you can always pitch us your story ideas about people, places, and things that have gone missing. Drop us a line at last at gmail.com. And we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks so much for listening to season three of last scene. It's been a pleasure.